Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Positively Muslim Podcast. My name is Ali Al-Ashram, aspiring partner in shine to our beloved Tarif Shreem. We are very excited for today's episode in which Tarif will discuss the intersection of neuroscience, meditation, and spirituality. I find this to be a cutting-edge discussion and one that is essential for us as Muslims in moving from mere survival to thriving in the capacities God endowed us with. Tarif, I know this is a subject that you've devoted a great amount of study to over the years, so what insights can you share? In the name of Allah, God Almighty, the beneficent, the gracious, the merciful, and may the peace and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon his prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and on his family and all those who follow in his footsteps. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Dear friend, partner Ali and our audience out there, peace be upon all of you. Alhamdulillah for this opportunity again to come and have some fun in exploring uh, critical questions, I would say, that uh, that, is, that have been enlightened with um, kind of modern advances and revelations that we really need to pay attention to because we keep circling around same questions about our struggle, Ali, you know, uh, the stress, the anxiety in our minds and how to find peace and how to find meaning and purpose and how to transform our health and well-being and and enhance our relationships with others around us. It turns out it's all coming back to the same fundamental uh, truths and 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 uh, core questions. And there is there are you know there's healing out there. There is easy accessible methodology that is really built even into our faith. Uh, and and we're now trying to explore it from other angles, but they're all pointing to the same conclusion. So the question of neuroscience that you brought up, Ali. And alhamdulillah, I've been blessed to be able to, you know, I was fortunate enough over the years to be able to look and study um, the subject matter of faith and spirituality in its uh, in its connection to neuroscience and, and, you know, exploring what neuroscience has to say about all of this. And I was intrigued, Ali. I was just blown away. I found my faith to be growing as a result of engaging with all of these studies. And I, I found it to be an imperative for myself to really place worship at the heart of my life without treating it as kind of a, a thing that I just do and check a, a a box on, right? Because I'm recognizing it is actually, uh, you know, it has to do with my, well, my well-being and my families and my relationships with everybody, but ultimately in terms of my ability to heal spiritually and grow. So this link between neuroscience and meditation and spirituality and why should we bother with this subject? Um so let me begin with a brief word about the importance of, of neuroscience as a field of research. For those who are not familiar, you know, neuroscience at its essence is the empirical study of the central nervous system uh, and the brain in our human bodies. Uh, and the implications of the advances that have been um, achieved in neuroscience have given us an incredible window into understanding our nature as human beings uh, and the biological and the physiological links that we have to other aspects in our human experience, such as, you know, spiritual practice. So in the last, ep- you know, decade, um, we witnessed an explosion in neuroscience research that made breakthroughs such as, oh, I'm sure, you know, our audience has heard of, you know, uh, stem cell research. So we've seen them, uh, you know, transplanting cell- stem cells in, in brains to restore lost neurons and treat illnesses. Literally, by transplanting stem cells, we're able to, again, 
restore lost neurons and which which cause a, a host of issues mentally uh and, you know and in terms of also loss of memory etc uh they've uncovered in neuroscience the exercise brain connection they've used nerve stimulation to help people walk um use electrical brain stimulation to improve memory um so all that has been achieved just in the last 10 years imagine the future possibilities and again these are all gifts of God Almighty, that he has enabled us to explore, to enhance our human condition. And the brain is truly astounding. It, it's really a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's essential we learn something about the very faculty, Ali, that you and I are using right now to conduct our conversation, right? Amazingly, we use our brains, but rarely reflect on the brain. And the brain ultimately ask the question, what am I, right? It's almost an existential question, but like, wow. And the brain itself is not capable of answering the question about its own self or to reach the limits because the limits are infinite because it really is one of the greatest signs of Allah and his power, the brain that sits in our skull. Um, You know, this brain that is just three pounds, Ali, uh, 60% of which is fat, it generates 23 watts of power. Uh, it has within it 100 billion, 100 billion, one of the numbers that they throw out there, some say a lot more than that, 100 billion neurons uh, present in this brain. If you connect the blood vessels in the brain, uh, they would add up to 400 miles. So imagine if you connect all the blood vessels, the capillaries within the brain, they will uh, 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 add up to 400 miles. Interestingly enough, by the way, if you add up the blood vessels in the body, Ali, they would add up to 60,000 miles, 60,000 miles. Can you imagine? So it's like going around Earth more than more than twice. You know, I believe Earth is like whatever, 26,000 miles across. Um, so imagine our our physical blood vessels, if you connect them to each other, they'll go around Earth more than twice, two to three times. Uh, all that is sitting in, you know, within us. And the question is, can we have even better brains? Or are we stuck with the brains that we have? Again, the discoveries that have been made in neuroscience are allowing us to get a glimpse into the capacities of this brain and what we're capable of achieving with it. And amazingly, Allah says in the Quran, سَنُرِيهِمْ آيَاتِنَا فِي الْآفَاقِ وَفِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَهُمْ أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ In Surah Fussilat, Allah says, we shall reveal for them continuously it's not a one-time thing this quran was revealed 1400 years ago and it and here it is telling us we shall reveal for them uh our signs in the horizons and within themselves until it becomes evident to them that it's the truth and this truth is 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 not is is the truth about the existence of our source allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we emanate from him but it's also the existence uh, or the confirmation of the truths that he spoke about including that worship is necessary and and essential to us that's the truth people can debate with it allah says i'll uncover for you signs that are going to prove every truth that i've revealed to you and today is an attempt wallahi at gaining that pleasure uh of of looking or gaining a glimpse into that evidence that shows us indeed we need to engage in spiritual practice and meditate on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it's truth. We need it and we cannot live without it. And Allah says in Surah Al-Dhariyat, And within yourselves, don't you see? 
don't you see? Like the messages are are astounding, are 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 calling us night and day. And and fortunately, I love that we're living in this age, Ali, that we're able to see astounding discoveries. And I wonder what the reaction would have been 1,400 years ago if people were to get a glimpse into this research and the findings. They would be like, what's up with you guys that you're not still submitting and, and, and still not able to open your eyes to gain that healing and gain that growth? So again, the question is, can we see that those evidences? And in fact, I'm going to say, Ali, can we see the evidence of God himself, Allah Almighty, in ourselves? Can we see the evidence of Allah, of God Almighty, in the workings of our brain? Uh, so this ties into the emergence of a new field. So because of all these questions, Ali, and the fascinating discoveries of in neuroscience, and because people are experiencing these connections between their you know, physical well-being and spiritual practice. So it's begging the question, is there, there's got to be a link out there, right? So because of all these advances, as I said, and the interest as well in understanding the reasons behind the, these common experiences Ali, across our cultures, across history, that, that urge us, even though people are not necessarily meeting each other, maybe cultures have come, not come across or encountered each other, uh, throughout time, but nonetheless, we see these common experiences that speak of this need to worship and the impact of religious experience of, on our well-being. Because of all of this, a new field emerged. It's called neurotheology. Neurotheology. So, as we know, science and religion have always been kept separate. But now, the field of neurotheology or spiritual neuroscience uh, has emerged in the last few years, and it seeks to integrate both neuroscience and theology, and to explore theology from a neurological perspective. So neuroscience, as we said earlier, being the empirical study of the central nervous system or the brain uh, and the brain, or and theology being the study of God. So can we, can we intersect those two? Can we see a relationship? Absolutely. So neurotheology emerged as a field, and it's, the, uh, it's a unique scientific field of scholarship Again, it's not pseudoscience. It's not feel-good science, anything like that. This is a serious um, scientific field of scholarship and investigation that seeks to understand the relationship specifically between the brain and theology, and more broadly between the mind and the and religion. So, as a topic, you know, neurotheology has garnered substantial attention in both the you know the you know the academic realm and and also within the lay community in recent years. Several books have actually been written addressing the relationship between the brain and religious experience. Numerous scholarly articles have been published on the topic. Uh, the scientific and religious communities have been very interested in obtaining more information regarding neurotheology and how to approach a topic and, and, and what's the extent of that integration between the two fields. Um, so in fact, the integrative approach of neurotheology has the potential uh, to revolutionize actually our understanding of our universe and and our place within it, so it's it's an exciting new field, Ali, and for me it's nothing but a further sign, right, that validates and confirms the truths that we've always known, and to shed further light on them. So, how do scientists conduct studies in in neuroscience uh, as it relates to spirituality? So, you know, again, broadly, uh, 
or uh, under this umbrella of neurotheology. Studies in neurotheology are mainly conducted uh, by applying the scientific method to spirituality through brain imaging tests. So neuroscientists evaluate what's happening in people's brains when they're in a deep spiritual practice like meditation or prayer or when they are in what's called a transcendental state. So when they're engaged in that, they bring them into the lab and then they do brain imaging on them to see what's happening in their brain when they're engaged in spiritual practice. So scans have revealed, uh, brain imaging scans have revealed extraordinary findings about the ways in which religious practice like prayer and meditation actually change the brain and also have revealed deep insights into the brain wiring for faith and transcendence and religious experience. Now, how is all of this related to spiritual practice and meditation and worship? Uh, we discussed in our last, last episode that, again, uh, for review, meditation is the practice of focusing the mind on a particular thought or object and involves working with the mind to reach a heightened state of awareness. So is there really an impact that meditation has on our brains? Absolutely, and the science proves it. Um, let me give you uh, and share with our audience examples of just a snippet, Adi. Really, there's a, the literature on this is astounding. So I just picked a few instances to share with our audience to just give us a taste of what the science is showing us in the field of neurotheology. Uh, a neuroscientist by the name of Richard Davidson out of the University of Wisconsin scanned the brains of Buddhist monks who have logged years, years, not days, years of meditation. What have they found? Uh, when they looked at the brain images of the brains of these Buddhist monks, they found that long-term practitioners of meditation have actually altered the structure and the function of their brains. Not just the structure, Ali, but the function of their brains. So that when it comes to things like attention and compassion, their brains were found to be as finely tuned as a late model Porsche, as the scientists say. So imagine, you know, I, I don't know, Ali, what your favorite car is, or if you even care. Um, I know, do you? I don't know. Do you care for uh, cars? Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I drive a, you know, I don't know, 2002 car. So I don't know that. I, okay, I, I, I should have, I, I'll have that question. For, Ali, no, Ali, I've yeah. known you as a friend for a long time, man. I know you, you could care less. As long as it takes you from point A to point B. No, no, but, it's cool. It's cool. The the uh, the metaphor, I'm sure the metaphor will will will, uh, will work. I'm but excited Ali, to hear. I, I grew up feeling, literally, when I was a young child, I felt that I was entitled to having a Porsche. No, no joke. I felt like the culmination wow. of my journey, wow. even religiously, like I felt, you know, oh Allah, forgive me, that I was owed by you a Porsche when I reached 18 or 19. I said, wow, that's wow, the, wow. I felt with you like, I got to get that. Like when, when after I've done, been a good boy and I worship and I pray and I'm going to study, I'm going to be given that Porsche. Like it, it, it's the <laughs> sign for me. Yeah, yeah. So... I mean, I'm not joking. I I love Porsches, uh, you know, Carreras in particular, or you know, whatever. Uh, not that I'm a car expert, but you know, they're saying that their brains are as finely tuned as those Porsches in relation to other cars. I mean, you can imagine the you know the power again, the horsepower on a car like that, and how wow, it performs. It's amazing. It's, it's an amazing discovery. These they're not just saying this, Ali, as a joke. As a no, no, no. They're really serious about this. They found that. Uh, you know, other evidences of how their brains are actually changing. So another significant contributor to this field 
His name is uh, Dr. Andrew Newberg, a neuroscientist uh, at, uh, at Thomas Jefferson University. He also uh, is a lecturer at uh, UPenn, conducted incredible, crazy research on, on people practicing meditation and worshiping practices. And Ali, including research studies, is done on Muslims practicing salah and dhikr. So Andrew Newberg really? has done it all. Really? Yes. What, do you, what did he find on that? On that? Breakthroughs, Ali. Breakthroughs on this. I'm going to get into the general. We're going to talk about the Muslim, the, the, the findings in terms of the research on Muslim brains of people who are practicing salah with khushur, with dhikr. We'll touch on it today. We're going to also talk more about it in, in, you know, inshallah in, in a future session. Um, but it's, it really is amazing. So they found that intense prayer and meditation permanently change numerous structures in the brain um, and even alter the way we see reality. Uh, not only do prayer and spiritual practice, they even said, in, just generally in our health, reduce stress. But they say that just 12 minutes of meditation a day actually slow down the aging process. Uh, the you know uh, Andrew Newberg found, interestingly enough, Ali, something amazing. He asked people to contemplate a loving God versus a punitive God. And he found that in the studies that they've conducted, that when people contemplate a compassionate, merciful, loving God, uh, as opposed to just focusing on the punitive aspect of him, it actually found was found to reduce anxiety and depression uh, and increase feelings of security, compassion, and love. Um, uh, you know, uh, another neuroscientist, his name is uh, Sarah. Uh, her name is Sarah Lazar, out of Harvard. She looked at uh, long-term meditators who've engaged in it for seven to nine years. And she literally, when they looked at the brain structures, they found more gray matter, particularly Ali, in the you know, frontal cortex. So when they looked at long-term meditators, seven to nine years, they've looked at their prefrontal cortex, which is linked to decision-making and working memory. So when we are trying to make decisions... The command center that we utilize in our brains to conduct or to perform this analysis and make decisions is what's called the prefrontal cortex, the nausea. Allah calls it in the Quran, the nausea, the frontal part of the brain and the head. They actually found more gray matter in those areas. Um, and they also found a growth or increase in the in the growth of that gray matter in several other areas of the brain, including the auditory and sensory cortex or regions in the brain. And it makes sense because meditation has you slow down and become aware of your present moment and you focus uh, and it increases your sensations, uh, your physical sensations such as breathing and sounds because you're in tune with everything mindfully. So it actually increases the sizes of those areas in the brain. While most people see their cortexes they shrink as they age, so me and you, as we age, not only do we see white hairs, but interestingly, the white hairs are telling you your prefrontal cortex or frontal cortex is actually shrinking. That's why we start to, you know, one of the reasons at least, uh, why we start to, not, you know, not be as, uh, as sharp in our memories. Maybe we slow down a little bit in terms of being able to uh, think quickly and be quick on our feet. It's because the cortexes are actually shrinking. So what did they find out? They found out that 50-year-old meditators in that study that uh, that uh, Dr. Sarah performed uh, had the same amount of gray matter as people half their age. So a 25-year-old, imagine, has the same amount of gray matter as a 50-year-old, and that's not the norm. 
that 50-year-old should have less gray matter. Again, why? Because of their meditation consistently for seven to nine years. In one study, they've uh, employees at a high-tech firm, and again, they're bringing a lot of this stuff into high-tech firms, Ali, because they're, they do notice employees are stressed out. They're not able to perform. And you know we know our corporations are not necessarily interested in truths, but they're interested in productivity. So they're, they're desperate. They'll bring anything as long as it gets the employee to produce more. So they're bringing now meditation practices in Silicon Valley and so on and so forth. So at this high-tech firm, um, they've, they've uh, done this study. Uh, you know, a few minutes a day, they've asked the employees at this firm to perform a meditation just a few minutes a day for only a few weeks. And the results were dramatic. Check this out. So two months, just two months, not seven, nine, or 10 years, just two months of practice among amateur amateurs performing meditation led to systematic changes in their brains as well as in their immune system in positive directions. So an example of that is that they found that they've developed more antibodies to the flu virus. I wonder, Ali, if they're going to develop also, you know, you never know, antibodies towards COVID. You never know. Maybe with, oh, yeah, yeah, we with hope. more and more. Uh, yeah. Seriously, this is amazing. The, this is like proven scientifically, verified, corroborated in the studies. Uh, so they develop, develop more antibodies to the flu virus than their colleagues who did not meditate. Even just eight weeks of meditation changed people's brains for the better. There was a thickening in several regions also of their brain, including uh, the left side of the hippocampus. And the hippocampus um, is part of the limbic system in the brain, which is a critical area of our brains involved with emotions and so forth. So the left hippocampus was thickened. And it, it, it has to do with our memory, being able to um, uh, transform short-term memory into long-term memory in wow, our emotional incredible. regulation. So imagine, Ali... We're talking about the thickening of the sides of the brain, the structures of the brain that can help us regulate ourselves emotionally and not be all over the place with improvement of the side of the structures of the brain that enhance memory. They found the thickening also in an area called TPJ, uh, temporal parietal junction. Guess what? And this is fascinating. This area, TPJ, uh, is a structure involved in empathy and the ability to take multiple perspectives. You know, Ali, those... Thick-headed people we Yeah, we definitely know. need that in this current climate. Oh, without a doubt. And I ask Allah, protect us from being that because we can be as, you know, we, yeah, we can be exhibiting Amen. that state and when we're one-dimensional and not flexible and not capable, Ali, of reaching that awareness of other possible perspectives out there. It is actually, you know, in an area of our brains and we can train that area of the brain. And it turns out that meditation, even for a short period of time, thickens that area of the brain, TPJ, that enables you to take on multiple perspectives. And Ali, fascinatingly, and we're in desperate need of this, empathy. And what is empathy? But the ability to take on somebody else's perspective and understand where they are emotionally, to actually listen to them, right? I would say, Ali, that of all cases that I've seen of people out there and their and, and the dysfunctions that we experience in our families and the problems and the crisis socially, Allah, they, they stem from lack of empathy oftentimes and being able to listen reflectively and take on somebody else's perspective and, and put yourself in their shoes. Empathy is sure, at the heart yeah. of the prophetic character. 
sallallahu alayhi wasallam was able to see someone else we talk a lot about it from the pulpit are we able to cultivate that amazingly meditation the ability to focus your mind on something like a spiritual concept in our case on allah regularly consistently but with awareness cultivates that side of the brain that enables you to to be more empathetic and take on more perspectives they found that ali also a few weeks of meditation enhances or thickens another part of the brain cell called the pons again it's part of the brain stem uh, that is involved in in control of breathing sleep and and again talk about the struggle with sleep and sleep is connected to a lot of health ailments if people are not sleeping well they're going to be experiencing so many ailments and to the point where nowadays they're talking about the sleep being a cure for majority of ailments that we experience so the pons is involved in that in our brains and and there's a thickening of that area when people meditate uh it's the pons also are involved in communication between different parts of the brain and the sensation and sensations such as balance taste and hearing all that is under the pons and the pons again are thickened by virtue of meditation they've also found that um within new meditators ali not long term meditators they found in studies that um the brains of new meditators uh experience a shrinkage of their amygdala and this is really interesting the amygdala is a region of the brain that is associated with fear anxiety and aggression fear anxiety and aggression and again a common prevalent problem is that people are experiencing these uh it's not that they're negative emotions we need them in our lives but when they are excessive when we lose control of ourselves and 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 well dwell in that state for a prolonged period of time we've talked before about stress we wreak havoc in our bodies and we also create suffering for not only ourselves but others around us through again fear anxiety and aggression and these these experiences or these states emotional states are under the uh, operation of the amygdala so again what do the studies show ali they show that meditators new meditators experience a shrinkage of the amygdala which is associated with fear anxiety and aggression so automatically what is the conclusion is that is that with meditation you're going to be able to get a handle over your fear anxiety and aggression they lessen with long long term meditation i mean if it's if it's being lessened in short term meditation imagine the effect on long term meditation yeah so so we have uh like dictates or teachings to say something like you know don't don't get angry but there are also ways not to get angry that you're describing now fascinating exactly ali it's like we know that the prophetic uh, guidance of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam telling us that this is take control over this you know like sit down right uh, uh go make wudu touch the water we have practical practical tools and ali we also know that salah itself rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam what did he say whenever i used to stress what would he do He would go to the salah. He says to Bilal radiyallahu an arihna biha ya Bilal. Call to the prayer Bilal and bring comfort and serenity. It turns out here it is. Like serenity which is the opposite of anxiety fear, right? Is attained through that state of what? Because imagine the salah of Rasulullah sallallahu compared to our salah. Our salah oftentimes is lacking that experience of meditation of khushu'. The Rasulullah sallallahu was in, totally immersed in the salah. it really so it did bring that healing and serenity to him 
And we're in desperate need of that. And, and here's the tool again. Uh, we're, we're talking about practical things that are built in our real faith and religion. And for the larger uh, audience, you know, the practice of meditation for them is has the potential to shrink their amygdala and enable them to get a handle and control their uh, uh, uncontrollable fear, anxiety, and aggression, if that's a problem for them. Uh, this reduction in size of the amygdala, again, is is has been correlated to reduce stress levels, Ali, in the participants of the study. So they have actually do, did notice that the participants in the study experienced less stress. Uh, participants in the study averaged, in this one that we're talking about, about 27 minutes of meditation a day. But other studies suggest that significant positive changes can actually be achieved with just 15 minutes of meditation. Again, think about our practices, Ali, of Salah, five times a day. And they are spread throughout the day as like balance breaks for us, right? Amazingly. You add them up, they're definitely like around half an hour. But amazingly, at specific times, they revere practices. Imagine if we're able to cultivate a khushua, meditative state in that salah. And we're supposed to have practiced this since we were like gained puberty, right? Consistently for years and years. And Allah says, you need this. So for me, these, these studies are showing me, giving me a glimpse into the divine guidance when Allah says, you need this. And this is just a snippet, Ali. This is just scratching the surface. We haven't really, we'll never get into the infinite dimensions of the benefits of, of spiritual practice in our faith and how it is so regimented, Ali, designed, indeed, because it's designed by Allah, right? It's not something we do once a week. It has a specific structure that matches with the needs of our bodies, our psychology, our emotional state. And here it is. We're now seeing evidence that it's transforming our brains. But given the condition, Ali, that we do it consciously, because some people might say, wait a minute, I've been practicing, I've been worshiping, I'm not seeing changes. Well, maybe we need to start paying attention to the concept of meditation. See my point? That's why we're talking about meditation. That's why we should bother, because khushur, the meditative state, is essential. Without it, we cannot gain these, these benefits that we've been stressing. So just in summary, the neurological research over the past couple of decades, has actually consistently shown that just a few minutes of, of meditation a day, of spiritual practice a day, will do the following. They'll reduce your stress, depression, anxiety. They'll reduce um, your physical pain, insomnia, enhance your sleep, breathing, sensations, and, and, and equilibrium. They delay the, uh, the disease of aging. They enhance your immunity. They enhance your moods, emotional regulation. They strengthen uh, neurological circuits in our brains that generate peacefulness, social awareness, empathy, love, and compassion for others. Uh, enhance, essentially, enhancing our relationships and you know and connections to others. They enhance cognitive function. They thicken and permanently change the brain, resculpting it and growing it, thickening it. Um, so I, I always say, what else do we need to know, right? Uh, concluding thoughts on this is that really, again, we've seen incredible advances uh, in the field of neurotheology and, and neuroscience over the past decade or two uh, with regard to the study of the brain. And, 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 and amazingly, we're still at the ground floor of neurotheology. Uh, you know, we've already seen ample uh, evidence in neurotheology that our brains are essentially Ali wired, wired for spiritual practice, for connection to God. Almighty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're actually wired for khushur. Because again, when you're involved in khushur, experience khushur and meditation, 
you trigger and connect immediately to brain structures that are wired to help you achieve that state. Uh, and, and this is fascinating evidence and sign again that, that all of this is wired into us, that spiritual practice, meditative practice is part of our wiring and fabric. When we say, Allahu Akbar, you know, uh, God is great. Uh, I'm saying it even more and more now, right? Uh, when I look at all of these evidences, indeed, Allah is great. God is great for, you know, for our uh, existence, uh, for our future, for our current life, for the next life. He's, God is great for our minds, for, for physical health, for spiritual health, for relationships, for emotions. God is great in and out. Like it's it's just a fascinating expression, actually, that really in, in two words uh is it should be the reaction and the response, you know, that at least I I say, I experience when I'm when I when I you know just uh look at, at, at all of these revelations. So alhamdulillah for them uh, that we've had this opportunity to even just explore, even, albeit, you know, slightly, uh, you know, the workings of the brain, the discoveries that, that are bringing this evidence. And I would say the urgent need for us to become more intentional in integrating faith and spiritual practice in our lives um, and into really seeking to take seriously and not take for granted the idea of khushur. Presence, presence, presence. Because if we're not able to meditate in the moment on, on what we're doing, then we're not going to be able to really grow and heal. Oh, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. Well, thank you for that as always, Tariq. I remember the first time you uh, introduced me to the term neurotheology. It was kind of a mind-blowing uh, experience there. So um, it's really exciting to hear you kind of bring this to a, a wider audience now. And, uh, you know, inshallah, we hear much more about it. Uh, thank you again to, uh, as always, to our listeners. And uh, the Positively Muslim podcast is a project of the Center for Muslim Life at Maryland. And uh, to to support uh, the organization and, and efforts like this podcast, uh, please and, and learn more about the organization, please do uh, uh, check out cmlmd.org. And thank you again, and assalamu alaikum. <laughs>